The writer of the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes sounds like he was having a bad day when he described life as vanity of vanities. All of life is vanity. All of life is meaningless, a chasing of the wind. In Hebrew, it sounds like this. Hevel, hevelim, hevel, hevelim, hakol, hevel. Yeah, he says that all of life is hevel. Well, in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, Daniel Ryan Day is going to lead the Discover the Word group into part two of a study of Ecclesiastes. And so, Daniel, take a few minutes and uh, summarize for us, please, what we learned about Ecclesiastes in part one of this podcast. In the first week of this series, we spent a lot of time talking about one of the most important words we need to get our minds around in order to really understand what Ecclesiastes is about. In fact, we mentioned how scholar Bruce Waltke calls this word the key to open the door of Ecclesiastes. It's the hinge idea, the most important word, and that word was hevel. And in the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, there's a verse that talks about how meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless, or vanity, vanity, says the teacher, everything is vanity. And that word there is the Hebrew word hevel, which means smoke or vapor or mist. And the reason that's important is because throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, the Kohelet, the teacher, continues to talk about how everything is hevel. And he uses it in two ways in particular. The first is that everything is fleeting. So he talks about how everyone dies, whether they're wise or whether they're a fool. Uh, He talks about how the sun comes up, the sun goes down, how one generation comes, one generation goes. And so there's this idea that hevel is describing the fleeting nature of life, even joy or enjoyment, things like that come and then they go. And then the other way that he uses the word hevel is to talk about those paradoxes, those enigmas, those big questions that we have on our hearts about why is the world happening the way it's happening? Why is it going the way it's going? Why is God allowing something to happen? One of the questions that the author of Ecclesiastes brings up, why do both the wise and the fool end up in the grave? You could summarize some of his other questions as questions like we have. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Well, if you think about what it would look like to try to grab hevel, to try to grab vapor, to try to grab smoke, as soon as you try to grab it, it slips through your fingers. And what the author here is saying is in these moments of questions, of paradoxes, of enigmas, trying to grab an answer to those is like grabbing smoke. It slips through your fingers. We can't really get our minds around it. And that was the big idea of week one was this idea of Hevel. We also talked about how Ecclesiastes, the author is kind of the pessimist. Uh, It's a part of the wisdom literature of the Bible, which includes Proverbs and includes the book of Job. And what Ecclesiastes brings to the conversation of wisdom in the Bible is it kind of fills out the rest of the picture. In Proverbs, Proverbs tends to be very positive. Hey, if you do the right things, good things will happen. Ecclesiastes, uh, he wants to push back on that and say, really, how often when we do the right things do good things actually happen to us? And then we have the story of Job that completes the picture of wisdom where you have the most righteous person in the world 
experiencing some of the worst things possible that could happen to somebody. And so by seeing this whole picture of wisdom in the Bible, this whole picture of what human experience really is, it gives us a perspective on what does it look like to follow God in a world where, yeah, sometimes when you do the right things, good things happen. Sometimes when you do bad things, bad things happen. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. And then finally, we talked about all of this in the lens of this idea that shows up throughout the Bible of the fear of the Lord, how that word fear does bring with it a sense of being afraid of someone who is bigger or other or more powerful than we, which is who God is. God is so other than us that sometimes when we end up in a situation where we sense God's presence, there's almost fear there. But what we find through the story of the Bible is that very quickly that fear turns to trust because we discover that this big God who is so powerful is actually fighting for our behalf, that he's on our side. And as a result, that invites us into this relationship with him, this relationship where he loves us and we love him. And by loving him, we also love one another. And so that is the foundation we laid in part one of this conversation. And now in the second half of this study of Ecclesiastes, we're going to dive into those things that it says we typically look for meaning in life in and discover how this book of wisdom pokes holes in those things and shows us that they are hell to help us discover where true meaning in life is found. Well, this is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And it's Daniel Ryan Day leading Mark DeHaan and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder through the uh, different kind of wisdom that we find in Ecclesiastes. But I think we're discovering that in many ways this is a book that speaks into where our world is today. The questions and the struggles that we have are the questions and the struggles this book addresses. And so now, let's listen as Daniel asks Mart and Elisa and Bill this question to get us into part two of the study of Ecclesiastes. Have you heard the term thought experiment before? And if so, what is it? I have not heard that term. Okay. I had to look it up. (laughs) As you said it, I just Googled it. It must must have something to do with testing an idea, right? Yeah. Okay. What I Googled, it said, (laughs) An experiment carried out in the imagination. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's well, different than what I was thinking. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of testing something in an empirical way, so with our senses or with something like that, it's going through a test in your mind. Like, how would it end up if I did this test? So it could be somebody imagining what life would be if they were married mm-hmm. and they're not. Okay. Right? So it's something that happens in your mind. Okay. And... In the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a thought experiment that the author does, that the teacher does. And I think it might be best captured actually by some lyrics by John Lennon. And I promise, Mart, this will make sense as we get into it. Well, uh, Bill's going to tell us. So the lyrics are, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. So what John Lennon is driving at, right, is imagine there's no heaven. And in Ecclesiastes, there's this phrase that shows up over and over and over again. In fact, it shows up over 20 times. And it's this phrase, under the sun. 
And what I want us to think about as we hear that phrase repeated on many, many verses throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, what the Kohelet, the teacher, is asking us to think about is, what if what we see is all we have? What if this is all that exists? And as a result of that thought experiment of imagining if that was the case, it begins to help us maybe break down some ideas that we put hope in, like we talked about in our last series of conversations on Ecclesiastes. Sometimes we need to lose hope in things that deceive, that we think are hopeful, so that we can find hope in what doesn't deceive. So we're going to do a thought experiment today to kind of show where this phrase first shows up, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3. And there's two big ideas that are going to show up throughout the book in this. We're only going to talk about under the sun, but let's go ahead and read that whole verse. Bill, will you read that for us? Sure. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? So we're going to talk in our next conversation about toil, because that's another theme that shows up throughout the book. But today we're just going to focus on under the sun. And in order to do that, we're going to have to just revisit one idea from part one of this conversation, because this idea is the most important idea to get our minds around as we read the book of Ecclesiastes. And we'll see it show up with under the sun pretty often. And that was the idea of hevel. Really quickly, what does that word mean? And what were the two uses of that word that we talked about? I got this one. Oh, okay, go. Go. Uh, Yeah, you explained how it was a space telescope that somehow was anticipated by the scriptures. I think that's Hubble. (laughs) 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 But that's close, Mark. Thank you. (laughs) This is, you have to clear your throat for this word, hevel. (laughs) That's so good, Mark. It means just like a vapor. Yeah. Like a cloud, something like that, right? Yeah, smoke, mist, vapor, fleeting. And so in the way we we saw that word Mm -hmm. that represents mist or smoke, smoke, Mm -hmm. we saw two uses. One was fleeting, so it's something that is moving, that dissipates quickly. Mm -hmm. And then the other use was it's like an enigma. When you try to grab it, it slips Mm -hmm. through your fingers. If you try to grab smoke, it slips through your fingers. Yeah, I know one translation, I think, translates it grasping for the wind. Yeah. Oh, that's Trying to capture Mm -hmm. the wind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in fact, one of the phrases that we looked at in our last series on this was chasing after wind or feeding after Mm -hmm. wind. And often, hevel comes with that phrase attached to it. And of course, if you try to chase the wind, you never catch it. Mm -hmm. And so it's this idea that there are these questions in life, these enigmas, why do bad things happen to good people? Questions like that, that when you try to grasp an answer, Mm -hmm. it just slips through your fingers. It's Mm -hmm. hard to be satisfied by an answer. So that was the use of the word hevel. Again, in this conversation, we're going to talk about under the sun. And so to do that, let's look at a few places where we see this show up. Mm -hmm. Elisa, will you read Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse 14? Sure, sure. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun, and see, all is vanity, hevel, and chasing or feeding after the wind. Mm -hmm. So there's a good verse where all that kind of comes together, Mm -hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. all the deeds done under the sun. If you look at verse 13, we discover what he means by all the deeds. It says, all the things God has given to human beings to be busy with. Mm -hmm. So all these things that are happening under the sun. Bill, will you read Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11 for us? Sure. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity, hevel, 
and a chasing or feeding on the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So we just talked about busyness, all the things that we do. Here he's talking about his accomplishments, all the things that he thought were meaningful, that he accomplished, that were successful. And he discovers, you know what? It's heavy. It's fleeting. It's like feeding on the wind. I don't get any sustenance from this. Again, with that thought experiment of under the sun. Mm. There's a few others. Mart, would you read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16? Okay. Verse 16 says, I also noticed that under the sun there is evil in the courtroom. Even the courts of law are corrupt. So hevel would be which word here? So hevel's not in this one, but we see under the sun there. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. And the idea of under the sun is injustice happens Mm -hmm. under the sun. Mm. In our last series of conversations, you said that hevel is kind of the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. I come from a different generation, obviously, but I'd always heard that under the sun was the primary theme. So which is it? Does it matter? How do you make that call? Yeah, well, I think in that first verse that we read, 114, we saw all of the ideas coming together. Mm -hmm. So hevel, chasing after wind, toil under the sun. So under the sun is absolutely a major theme in the book. If you look at just the number of times the words show up, Hevel shows up that much more than the phrase under the sun. So one of the scholars that actually our team has leaned on in the past, Bruce Waltke, he pointed out in his commentary on this that Hevel is the key to unlocking the book of Ecclesiastes. But there's no doubt that under the sun is Mm. is in many ways just as important. Are they two sides of the same coin? Two sides of the same coin, absolutely. Because if we're doing this thought experiment of what if this is all we have? Well, everything truly is hevel. It's fleeting, right? So those two ideas go hand in hand. Absolutely. It's helpful. In chapter 4, verse 1, we see oppressions are practiced under the sun. In chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, we see him describing this grievous ill of parents that lose everything, and as a result, their children have nothing. We see in chapter 6, him talking about never enjoying what you have under the sun. Facing the unknown of death happens under the sun. In chapter 8, verse 9, people have authority over other people under the sun, and oftentimes that actually ends up hurting those who are under the authority of the oppressor. Over and over again throughout the book, he talks about how we all die, the righteous die and the wicked die, the wise die and the fool die under the sun. So again, this thought experiment of what if this is all that we have. Have there been times in our lives where we have wondered if what we see really is all that there is? When does that typically happen? When do we ask those types of questions? I think often when you're facing death, honestly, because that's when your faith about the hereafter is most tested, I think. Mm -hmm. And you're using this word thought experiment, which I really appreciate. As I'm putting it into my own thinking, I'm thinking about anticipatory thinking. You know, it's like how I would imagine myself, for instance, maybe I've had a falling out with somebody and I imagine meeting them and what I would say and what Mm -hmm. they would say. That's a great example. Or I'm picturing having a conversation with a child that I hope goes well and I imagine how it will go. So that's how I'm trying to get my claws Mm -hmm. into what you're talking about. But I think when we face death, or someone we love yeah, is facing that. I agree. I think the mortality issue, you know, somebody we love, mm-hmm. that thought experiment just mm-hmm. naturally happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then we do the thinking of how will I live without that person? Yes. And we begin to project that forward. And that also affects our faith, doesn't it? Oh, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the really amazing things about this book being in the Old Testament is he invites us to ask those questions. Mm. The list that we just went through. It's huge. Busyness, Mm -hmm. oppression, injustice, death. When we run into those things, one of the questions that naturally bubbles up in us is where is God Mm -hmm. in all this? And here we have a book in the Bible inviting us to ask those questions. How amazing is that? Mm -hmm. In that Mm -hmm. sense, it's kind of similar to the Psalms where we're not necessarily being invited to ask those questions, but we see psalmists under pressure who do ask those questions, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As I was doing research for this series, one of the things that I kept running into was this term expectations and specifically listening to a couple sermons by someone that I listen to a lot, Tim Mackey, was talking about how, you know, we don't really know what our expectations are till they're not met. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of expectations about how we think the world should work, how we think God should work. And oftentimes we don't realize we even have those expectations of how we expect life to go until we get laid off from a job or until a relationship doesn't work out or until we lose money Mm -hmm. or something where things happen that we don't expect, where our expectations aren't met. Mm -hmm. And so as we go throughout the conversations this week, I want us to keep this thought experiment in the back of our minds. What if this is all that we have? Um, Not because we're going to lose hope. What we're actually going to find by the end is by doing this thought experiment, we find that As you mentioned, Mart, there is true confidence to be found in God. And so that's what we'll talk about. Sidewalk chalk art. Have you ever seen, well, first, because I just want to hear Mart's answer, have you ever played with sidewalk chalk? Yeah, not since last summer. Have you ever looked up some of the amazing sidewalk chalk art on the internet? Some of those images? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, you're not Pretty your spectacular. Head, yeah. We actually have a street fair in Denver every summer, and I hold my breath that it's not going to rain. Mm-hmm. And artists from all over come in and create these gorgeous, a lot of times reproductions of uh-huh. masterpieces like the Mona Lisa or Starry Starry Night or something like that. Yeah. yeah, I'm clueless. I have never seen it either on the internet or on the street. It's like gorgeous. That. Well, now you got something to do tonight. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and some of them are pretty fun because it'll be like a cavern that looks 3D. It looks real. Yeah. And somebody will be like balancing in the middle, acting like they're balancing. But it's a flat sidewalk. But the way they've drawn it mm-hmm. gives it this 3D feel. I saw one one time of a guy who's sitting with a fishing pole, a real guy. And the line goes down to his art, (laughs) but then it looks like a bass is jumping up, a 3D bass that's drawn into the sidewalk. So it's just this amazing, meticulous art. Mm-hmm. Now, Elisa, you said hopefully it doesn't what? Rain. Why, why would that <laughs> Because mess... the rain washes the whole work away. That's right. So we have this amazing picture of hard work, of meticulous attention to detail that fades pretty quickly, in mm-hmm. fact, because mm-hmm. if somebody is walking on top of it, it could fade right away. Mm-hmm. Keep that picture in your mind, because as we lean into the first part of the verse that we read last time Mm -hmm. about toil, that is the picture of toil that the author of Ecclesiastes is giving us, what we pour our lives Mm -hmm. into and how it's hevel, how it's fleeting, how Mm -hmm. it it doesn't last. Kind of like making the bed. 
yeah. in the morning. Or because you know you're just going to mess it up again later making that Making lunch. Day. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. Right? Is there anything more frustrating than getting almost done with the dishes <laughs> and someone puts one more cup in the sink? You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, oh, yeah. it's never done. Right. Mm-hmm. I've thought about this a lot too with books because everyone here has written books. And what is the true shelf life of yeah. most of the books we write? Three minutes or something. <laughs> yeah, that's how it feels, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. You know, even a really good selling book after mm-hmm. a generation is going to most likely not be remembered. There mm-hmm. are a few that stick mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. but for the most part, we pour lives and hours and time and research into these ideas and these thoughts, and it doesn't last. It's so humbling. It is, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. So let's read this verse, Ecclesiastes 1-3, that we read last time. And last time we focused on the phrase, under the sun. This time we're going to focus on toil. So would you read that for us? Ecclesiastes 1, verse 3. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? Mm. Toil and toil. Now, this word toil shows up over 20 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's been a few themes we've been talking about. Hevel shows up a lot. Under the sun shows up a lot. This is another word that shows up a lot throughout the book. And remember, it's a short book, right? 12 chapters. So when something shows up over 20 times, that means it's showing up more than once each chapter. Okay, now my translation just says hard work. Hard work. That works, Yeah, which right? is a great translation. Cause well, yeah, because we don't say the word toil very much, yeah. do we? Yeah. yeah. And the word amal, which is the Hebrew word, it means trouble, labor, toil. And when you connect it to this idea of under the sun, what kind of picture does it give you? Hard work under the sun. Sweat. Yeah, sweat Mm -hmm. or like this straining. Let's look at a few other verses where this shows up. Elisa, would you read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 22 through 23 for us? And I think this will really paint that picture of grueling work. Okay. What do mortals get from all the toil and strain? with which they toil under the sun. For all their days are full of pain, and their work is a vexation, frustration and worry. Even at night their minds do not rest. This also is vanity. What kind of picture does that paint of My life. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Exactly my life. Notice the teacher adds the word strain, so Mm -hmm. toil and strain. And that, I think, is really important for us to think about, Daniel, because... In our culture, we don't think about physical strain as much for many of us because those who do office-type work, it's not a physical kind of strain. They're not sitting there sweating in the heat of the sun. But my son, who's a plumber, Mm -hmm. I talked to him the other night. What would you do today? He said, I was out digging in the sun all day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, that is labor and toil. Right. And again, I'm comparing translations here. I've got... Filled with pain and grief. Is that yeah. is that the same? Yeah, that's that word vexation, especially. Frustration, okay. worry, pain, grief. This is hard work. Okay. Now, Bill, I agree with you because I grew up doing construction with my dad. That is a different level of strain. But for those of us who think that we're off the hook because we don't have a job that's out in the sun in that way, the way this verse ends, I think, definitely connects with, mm-hmm. even if you have an office job, even at night, their minds do not rest, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Even for those of us who maybe don't feel the strain of physical labor, digging a ditch to put in some piping or something, mm-hmm. we feel what it's like to go to sleep and be restless and not be able to sleep because we're thinking about our work mm-hmm. or we're worried about how to pay the people that work for us or 
the decision we have to make the next day or something like that. I was actually trying to think about the context of the audience Mm -hmm. who would have first heard this because most of them were doing the physical work under the sun. There weren't a lot of office jobs. I don't think they had Zoom. Yeah. I know they have Zoom. (laughs) Well, and I'm actually thinking about moms, just to be straight Mm -hmm. up. It is so exhausting to be a mom of young children, especially. That is physical labor. You constantly schlepping them on your hip and you know, lift, lifting them up and down off the ground, and it's just exhausting. Yeah. yeah. You don't get the credit, though, do you, for that? No, it's just like every day. It <laughs> yeah. is, as soon as you get it done, and you have to do yeah. it again. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as we go throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he kind of continues to develop the idea of vexation, toil, restlessness, strain. In chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, he talks about how this toil, that we're never satisfied with even the riches of our toil that it's unsatisfying, that it can lead to unhappiness and displeasure, that there's no end to it, right? There's no end to the dishes. In chapter five, he talks about how we can't take the fruit of all of our super hard work with us after we die, that it stays. And so we work hard, we pour ourselves out, and it doesn't come with us. And then there is, though, however, at the same time, this theme of enjoyment of work, but we're going to not talk about that in this conversation. We'll talk about it in another one. So it's not all bad news here, but he is talking about there is this strain that comes with working under the sun. All of this comes together in a really beautiful spot in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. And I think this is going to help hint at what it could look like to maybe enjoy work, but also how to handle the stressful, vexation, hard work Mm that our culture often gives us. So let's read this, and then we're going to talk about it. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Mark, do you want to read that for us? Okay. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. And yet, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Yeah, so fools fold their hands and consume their own flesh. Better is a handful with quiet than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. So just a different translation, but yeah. the same ideas. In fact, your translation is very helpful in bringing out some of the meaning that we might miss. In English, we see hands, handful, handfuls. But in Hebrew, there's actually three different words hmm. used in this. And it's really helpful when we dig in. So the first one is the fool folds their yod. Now, the yod refers to the tips of the fingers down to the elbow. In fact, this word is used in reference to Samson when his yod was tied. His hands were tied and he couldn't use his strength. So think about this as Mm -hmm. their gifts, their abilities, the things that they can do with their hands. And so the fool sees this picture that Ecclesiastes is painting of how hard work is and how you can't take it with you when you die. And what do they do? They fold their yod. They decide, well, I'm just going to give up then. And as a result of that laziness, what happens? What did your translation say, Mark? It says leading them to ruin. Leading them to ruin. So consumes their own flesh. They destroy their own life because they just give up on life. Mm. If we skip to the last part, the two handfuls, it says better is one handful with quiet than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. That word for two handfuls is hoven. And hoven, and it's another clear your throat word, Bill, (laughs) is like grabbing life with two hands. So it refers to a hand that is completely filled, Mm. two hands that are trying to grab as much as you can. They're holding tightly. And of course, 
if you're holding tightly and you're wanting more and more and more of what you have enough of already, that often leads to toil, to worry at night, to not being able to sleep because you're trying to figure out how to keep all Mm. of your stuff. In fact, one of the themes in chapter four, verse four, he mentions, I saw all the toil and skill and work come from one person's envy of another. And we've talked a lot on this show about envy and greed, wanting more and more of what you have enough of already. Mm. But in that middle there, he says, better is a handful with quiet. Mm. The Hebrew letter cough looks like this. So it's an open hand, kind of like a C. Mm -hmm. And so it's this open handedness, Mm. approaching life with an open hand and a spirit of Mm -hmm. tranquility. Mm a spirit of quiet, Hmm. a spirit of accepting how life comes to us. So if we read- That's a great picture. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Mm -hmm. So so the fool folds their yacht. They -hmm. give up based on what they see. And you've got your arms folded now. And I've got my arms folded. So the fool folds their yacht, right? Their hands are folded. They're giving up on life. Better is one handful approaching life with a spirit of tranquility and trust and quiet than two handfuls, than two trying to grasp the world, two hoven mm. in a chasing after the wind. Mm. How does that open up this idea of toil for us? Well, it gets to a lot of motive. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just what are we doing, but why do we do it? What's our intent? What are we trying to gain from it and for what purpose? Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think there's a receptive posture that all of these hand positions are modeling, you know, when we're closed over our chest or when we're grasping with clenched fists or when we have an open cupped hand, we're receptive to what God allows to come to us and then entrust us to do yeah, with Which it. then in turn leads to the question or to the thought that better to live in a way that we were designed to live mm-hmm. rather than try to create Striving. something ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, as I process this, just honestly, I think it's a lot easier for me to embrace this cupped hand approach later in life than it was mm-hmm. earlier in life. Maybe it's my generation, I don't know, but I'm much more able to comprehend how to mm-hmm. live this rested than I would be if I was building, building my family, building my yeah. life, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. And I will say the reason that um, I'm leading this series. As a younger person. As a younger person, as someone who is in the middle of discovering what a career is. Um, of And building your family. Feeling and, the weight mm-hmm. of my kids getting older and needing to eat more. <laughs> right? <laughs> and paying for that. And even making decisions, knowing that we're just a few years away from paying for college and things like that. These couple verses in Ecclesiastes and the way that they uh, free us from that pursuit of trying to grab life and make it happen on our own was the most life-giving thing for me as I went through this. And as I've talked with others in similar places to me, those in their 20s and 30s, who are in this pressure cooker of a try to make a life for yourself Mm -hmm. moment in their lives, this resonates with them too. And I think why is because what it's not saying is it's not saying that success is a bad thing. It's not saying that you can't pursue a job that pays well for your family. What it's saying is it's the way we approach the work that we do. It's an open-handed approach to life that only comes when we have... Do you have to go above the sun? We almost have to go above the sun, (laughs) right? And discover that God is with us Mm -hmm. and that he promises to ultimately provide. And so I think that's what it is, is it's not that 
being successful is a bad thing. It's that we busy ourselves so much with our toil trying to make life happen for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the invitation, the hope that I hear in this is actually you can approach life from a place of rest when you have confidence that God is with you. And when you approach life that way, you can be happy with a handful. You may not get two handfuls. You may only get one, but you can be happy with it. But you can still be working hard. Because you can still work hard, but you're approaching it from a place of rest versus a place of busyness. Approaching our work from a place of rest versus a place of busyness. The teacher in Ecclesiastes poking holes in the hope that we can place in our toil under the sun. Ultimately, it doesn't deliver. It's hevel, smoke, vapor, like hoping to catch the wind. We're going to take a quick break, and then Ecclesiastes has another thought experiment for us. What would you do if you could add one more hour to your day? Another project? Another hour of sleep? How would you use that hour? Mart and Elisa and Bill and Daniel will continue to look at Ecclesiastes and find that time is one of the themes that comes up quite often. Now, because you enjoy studying the Bible with us on Discover the Word, I'd like to tell you about another aspect of Our Daily Bread Ministries that I think you'll be interested in. It's our Our Daily Bread University. Our Daily Bread University is a premium provider of free biblical online courses to students around the world. And whether you are new to studying the Bible or a seasoned Bible student, we have something for you at Our Daily Bread University. And as we study Ecclesiastes, I'd like to invite you to enroll in a free course called Old Testament Basics. This course looks at all the books of the Old Testament, including the Wisdom Book of Ecclesiastes, to help you understand how all the different kinds of literature contribute to the story of the Old Testament, how they fit together, and what lessons can apply to our lives today. Start your free Old Testament Basics course today from Our Daily Bread University. When you click on the link at discovertheword.org or go to ODBU for Our Daily Bread University, odbu.org. Well, you know, probably the most familiar part of Ecclesiastes is about time. At the beginning of chapter 3, where it says, For everything there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up, a time to cry, and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to turn away, a time to search, and a time to quit searching, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, time to be quiet, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Yeah, time and the perspective of Ecclesiastes. That's where we're going to go next in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast. If you could add an hour to your day, what would you do with it? First off, I'd look for more time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably read. Read? Yeah. I like reading. 
I would play and I'm not good at it, but that's mm -hmm. what I would do. And I think they would look like walking, being with my grandkids, uh, maybe reading because that's play mm. for me. Okay, I just, I think I'd add one more hour to the very early morning. Mm. <laughs> one more hour of sleep. Ah, there, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And actually, Mart, that answer is one that showed up in a survey that was done in the U.S. asking this question to adults, what mm. would you do with an extra hour of the day? And the two most common answers were relax and sleep. Mm -hmm. But let's be real. Okay, Mart, let's say we get this hour. How many of us, maybe at the beginning, we'd use it for sleep, but what would probably end up happening to that hour over time? It would get filled up with the tyranny of the urgent. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. scrolling yeah. through your phone. I mean, yeah. really. Yeah, yep. we would just adjust the time clock. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'd end up with one more project that we could get done, or we'd watch one more show or do one more task or scroll on our phones mm -hmm. a little bit more. And that is another one of those thought experiments that mm -hmm. the author of Ecclesiastes, the Kohelet, the teacher, invites us to think about. What if we had more time? In fact, in chapter 6, verse 6, he says, Even though he, talking about a person, should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. So this is one of the thought experiments he kind of plugs in there. Even if he should live a thousand years twice, would mm -hmm. that change things for him? That's a real pessimist. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's exactly right. Because you could put off the inevitable for 2,000 years. Yeah, exactly. right. <laughs> Good long time, that's right. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to join him in the thought experiment of time because time is another theme that shows up throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. What if we had more time? So keep that question in the back of your mind as we're talking. To jump in, let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Would you read that for us, Bill? Sure. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds so they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. No, mine says God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Mm -hmm. And, and you said suitable, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And he's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Very different. Yeah, different, but I think the themes are there. Mm -hmm. There's themes of time. And then, of course, the first part of this verse is mm -hmm. one that is quoted on how many plaques? Mm -hmm. uh, Lots of them. He's and made songs. everything suitable for its time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or beautiful for its time. Mm -hmm. But I want to start by just talking about, moreover, he's put a sense of past and future in their minds, or Elisa, you said, a sense of eternity. Mm -hmm. So where does our sense of even the movement of time come from? God. God. Mm -hmm. So even this awareness that, there's this kind of thing called time and that life is moving. This is an awareness that God gives us. He puts a sense of past and of future in our minds. But we don't need that thought if we've got a clock, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, that's a good question. So when he's talking about time, is he talking about 24 hours? Yeah, because as you were saying that he has put a sense of it in us, but I don't think it's the accurate sense of it. It's our lifespan sense mm -hmm. of it because you know god is above time and it boggles our mind to try and understand mm -hmm. when did jesus start and end? Well, no no you know it, his quantification of time is different than our experience of time and our experience you know if we're in a period of fear and anxiety it doesn't move mm -hmm. i mean just yeah. second stand still second yeah mm -hmm. yeah but if we're having a good time <laughs> where does it go yeah you know? yeah and culturally our sense of time is very different from the culture of the Bible sense of time sure. because they don't have a 24-hour clock, 
right? That way of measuring time hadn't been created yet or invented yet or discovered yet. But they had the dial. They had the sun and the sand. They had the sun, yep. They had days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, if we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we actually get a sense of how they keep time. Let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Mark, will you read that for us? All right. Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets and then hurries around to rise again. And then it mentions the wind in verse 6. The wind blows. And And blows south and then turns mm -hmm. north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then he continues to go through creation. And this movement of creation Mm -hmm. is one way in which, Mm -hmm. to your sundial example, Mark, that was their understanding of time, of the movement of time. Well, and also just as you experience life, say you're a shepherd in ancient Israel and you watch the lambing time Mm -hmm. and you see that baby lamb born and then you see it grow. That in itself is telling you that time is passing Mm -hmm. because they've moved from that baby lamb state to being now an adult or you watch your own kids or you Mm -hmm. watch crops grow. I mean, everything in an agricultural economy is rooted in what happens as time passes. Yeah, and so it's kind of helpful just for us to remember like clocks didn't exist in the way mm-hmm. that we think of and there was kind right. of a different way of, of thinking about time. In fact, even in Genesis chapter one, the Hebrew day starts mm-hmm. evening and morning the first mm-hmm. day, right? So we think of days as starting when the sun comes up, but then it was when the sun goes down. And so there's this different rhythm even to life. Um, Why would they do that? Why would they start in the evening? Because I think in Genesis 1, that's the rhythm that we see in creation, that there was evening and morning the first day. And they kind of adopt that as the rhythm that God gifted the world. And I think if you think about that, especially in light of our last conversation, that means the day starts with food and rest. If it's evening and morning the first day, then the the rhythm of life that Hmm. God gives to the world is a rhythm of sustenance, of rest, and then work. But in our culture, it's more wake and work Mm -hmm. is the rhythm. And we wake up with a debt. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look again at that beginning part. So that was the sense of past and future that God gives us. It says everything is suitable for its time. Now, most people are very familiar. If they don't know much Mm -hmm. of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 they're pretty familiar with. A time for this, a time for that. And we see both positives and negatives Mm -hmm. in this list, right? And I'm guessing since, as we've talked about many times, Ecclesiastes is kind of the pessimist, that he probably put a little extra weight and emphasis uh, on the negative side. So yeah, Proverbs says there's a time to be born. You know what though? There's also a time to die. (laughs) (laughs) Proverbs says there's a time to dance, I say there's a time to mourn. Mm. And one of the things that we see as we read through these is we see themes of both creation, but also decreation of destruction of Mm. of a time to kill Mm. and a time to heal, Mm. right? Time to sow, a time to tear, a time to love, a time to hate. Now, I think this might help us as we think about how to read the Bible, because the question that should come to mind is, is the Bible saying that there's a time I should hate? Mm-hmm. others is there a time that i should kill is there a time that i should be an agent of destruction thoughts my thought is he's describing life under the sun 
That's right. Not from the perspective of the God who is above the sun. Yeah. And yet I've read this, maybe I'm wrong, that this is really the design of the Creator who gives us seasons of life. And when used with wisdom and with a right heart, mm. they all have a season. There's a time. Yeah. Or is it a reality that in our broken world, we will experience all of these things under the sun? You know, there's no. lots of richness here. In what yeah, we're there's suggesting. a lot of layers, aren't there? Because mm -hmm. when you tell there's a time to plant and a time to harvest, mm -hmm. you know, there's a richness to that and a and realism. Time. Yes. There's the, the time element. Yes. Yeah. I think it's it just gets a little squirrely when we start <laughs> talking about a time to hate. Mm -hmm. Well, there are things to hate. Mm-hmm. There are things that we really should hate, and love hates that which is contrary to our relationships and to those we, we care about. Yeah, so what I love about this, right, is we have three, mm -hmm. we just presented three different ways mm -hmm. that we could read this one passage, mm -hmm. ah. right? And so one of the things that happens under the sun mm -hmm. is that God has put this sense of eternity, the sense of time in our hearts. But how did that verse end? We cannot find out what God is doing from beginning to end. So that is the invitation, I think, sometimes when we read the Bible or we're in discussions with others, is sometimes we don't have a clear picture mm -hmm. of why time is moving or what's going on and are you saying <laughs> in that, a passage of Scripture, and that's okay. And you're saying our own conversation here is kind is of reflecting that. Is reflecting that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a richness that comes as a result of that. Good or bad. It can be both, because okay. <laughs> there's a time for it to be good and a time that's bad. I think the writer of Ecclesiastes would say is mostly bad. It's mostly bad. That's what he would say. Yeah. It's a downer. Yep. The other theme that comes out as you read through this book, and I would really encourage those who are joining us, it only takes about 40 minutes to an hour to read the whole book. Just read the book and listen for some of these themes. This rhythm. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the themes that shows up is that ultimately time is in God's hand, and only... God's stuff is eternal. Human life is hevel. It's fleeting. It's moving. As we saw, a generation comes, generation goes. Sun comes up, sun goes down. Like our lives are fleeting. They're moving. Only God is eternal. And we see that in chapter 3, verse 14. Elisa, would you read that for us? Sure. Ecclesiastes three fourteen. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. So I think the beauty in that is, Mar, even in a conversation that we have where we're like, what does this really mean? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we have a good God that we look to, and he's the one that is holding all these things in his hands. Mm. He is the God who gifts life, who mm. gifts us time. And as a result of him gifting us time, we have the invitation to think about these things, right? To explore, to mm -hmm. disagree, and to agree. <laughs> but ultimately, it's what God is doing endures forever. And what um, he sees, right? And what he sees, yeah. yeah. And I'd like to kind of end our conversation thinking about how difficult it is for us to be present in the moment that we're in, mm -hmm. which I think is the invitation, or at least part of the invitation that Ecclesiastes is giving us, because he's saying, like, look, time's going to keep moving. And if you get overwhelmed by what happened in the past and mm -hmm. can't move forward, then you're not going to be able to move forward. Mm -hmm. If you start thinking about what's happening in the future, mm -hmm. you're going to get overwhelmed. The first place we see this is Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10. And it says, do not say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Mm -hmm. 
oftentimes we look back on our lives and we think, man, you know when life was good? Those good old days. The good old days. Yeah. But what happens when you really lean in and go down that road? Mm. Yeah, we tend to remember the good bits more. (laughs) And the more we kind of tax ourselves to think through the wholeness of the experience, it wasn't always all that. Yeah. There were dark sides as well. But if we think that way, we kind of begin to resent the present, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or feel yeah. Miss it. Yeah, yeah. miss yeah. it in some way. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it leads to discontentment often and unhappiness. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens when we focus too much on the past. Or maybe we get caught up in regret and we can't move forward because of the bad things we've done mm-hmm. in the past. And that's all we can think about. Mm-hmm. He also warns us about thinking too much about the future too. Chapter 10, verse 14 No one knows what is to happen, and who can tell anyone what the future holds? Mm -hmm. If we get too caught up in the future, what happens? You don't live in the present. Mm -hmm. Miss it again. Mm -hmm. Yep, and you get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. A lot of anxiety, sure. So much anxiety. So time is a gift, and if we had more time, that wouldn't necessarily be a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Because every day that God gives us is truly a gift. And the invitation that Ecclesiastes, I think, is giving us is be present today and trust that God gave you today for whatever today holds. What does enjoying life look like for you? Mm. And maybe an easier way to ask it would be if you could design like the perfect day, mm. what would that look like? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's harder. Okay. That's so just lot. So just focus on enjoying life then. What does that look like? Other than playing golf for the two of you. Uh, (laughs) For me, it doesn't get a whole lot better than a cup of coffee in the morning out on the deck reading a good book. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a pretty good day right there. Did you say a good book or the good book? A good book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe that one too. I love my grandkids and y'all may get sick of hearing it, but you know, one seventeen, one six, and I love each of them and I'll do just about anything they want to do. Yeah, I have a hard time being as clear-minded as you. I got a book of pages of good days. And, you know, some of it's a day on the lake, man, with mm. the sun coming up in the morning and up by the lily pads and you're throwing in a fly and waiting for that <laughs> kiss. Mm-hmm. And then other days, it's man, it's it's working that really is just coming alive and its thoughts are popping, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And other times, it's being with my family and mm-hmm. just great. sharing the love. The variety, mm-hmm. the yeah. fullness. You could design a day around doing a little bit of each one of those things, mm-hmm. and then you'd mm-hmm. have that perfect day. Yeah. You're so exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Yep. Yep. Take you three weeks to recover there from you. your perfect day. Yep. Uh, for me, I always start with there's some kind of drink in my hand. And I have to be careful saying that because people assume what kind of drink they think <laughs> I'm talking about. But I'm talking about all kinds of different drinks. So yeah. if it's a cold morning, a cup of coffee mm-hmm. on the porch or mm-hmm. outside or... If it's in the fall, maybe a a coffee that has some kind of milk in it and some some hot cider. Hot cider. I Mm, love pressing our own cider and Mm. things like that. So enjoying life, in some ways, there's some similar themes, people, different things that we like. And actually enjoyment of life, surprisingly, is one of the themes in Ecclesiastes. (laughs) That is a little surprising (laughs) surprising. given how (laughs) pessimistic the the preacher has seemed to be to this point. Yeah, Yeah. how do you enjoy life being as pessimistic as he is? Well, it can only get better, right? (laughs) I guess, I guess. (laughs) And I think that's one of the things I've been challenged by as I've read this book is most often the phrases that I've heard quoted are, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in his work. 
But when I've dug into this book, I'm like, how is this a theme? But it's repeated over again. But it's repeated over and over again. And so there's this theme of enjoyment. And that really means a human, right? Yeah, It's not just like men are supposed to work and women are supposed to eat bonbons. The teacher was a male, potentially. Okay. Okay. And so maybe he's referring to himself, too, there. But you're right. Humankind, is there anything better than to eat, drink, and find fulfillment or find enjoyment in work? Mm -hmm. I want to read a section that is a really amazing section. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. And we'll see the theme of enjoyment, but through the lens of Ecclesiastes. So let's read this whole section together. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 1 through 10. Maybe, Bill, you could get us started. Okay. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 1. All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, one does not know. Everything that confronts them is vanity. Since the same fate comes to all, to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice, as are the good, so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shun an oath. This is an evil in all that happens under the sun, that the same fate comes to everyone. Moreover, the hearts of all are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go into the dead. There's hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. (laughs) (laughs) As they say. Uh, The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. Never again will they have any share in all that happens under the sun. Go, eat your bread with enjoyment, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has long ago approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that are given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. This Amen. A, this is a perfect example of, you know, sometimes we talk about, and I know maybe some of the, our friends who listen with us wonder, well, how can that be? But one of the biggest ideas I learned when I was in seminary was how unformed Jewish thinking was about what happened after you die. Mm-hmm. They really didn't have a clear picture. It's not like Paul in Second Corinthians, mm-hmm. you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain, mm-hmm. or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Here, this is a statement of somebody who really doesn't have a clue what comes next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. In fact, it's not the only place that we wonder if he even believes in life after death. So we read two verses there. So 9.5, the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? They have no more reward. Even the memory of them is lost. Then at the very end, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol or the grave Mm -hmm. to which you are going. Chapter 6, verse 12, for who knows what is good for mortals while they live the few days of their vain life, which pass like a shadow, for who can tell them what will be after them under the sun? So... Just like the Sadducees in Jesus' time Mm -hmm. that didn't believe in life after death, right? But they asked Jesus about 
life after death mm-hmm. to try to catch him. We don't know for sure that the author of Ecclesiastes believes that there's life after mm-hmm. the grave, or at least he has no complete picture of what that's going to look like mm-hmm. at this point. Is it also kind of ironic to the context for enjoyment here? It's very much like the Kohelet to start with everything's vanity, Hevel, all the toil under the sun, the movement of time that it keeps passing and you can't take it with you when you die and it affects everybody, everybody It's still dies. better to be a living dog than a dead lion, <laughs> <laughs> as they say. As they say. Yeah. Maybe that should be a phrase that we say more often because I think that's the point here is he's like, but hey, you're not dead yet. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So what do you do now? We've talked about all these themes throughout the book. I've talked about vanity. I've talked about how you can't take it with you when you die. We've talked about how time keeps moving, but you're not dead yet. You're here. So what do you do while you're here? And what are some of the themes? A lot of friends who that's how they view life. Mm -hmm. And when they think about the end of their lives, they think about ceasing to exist, not pain, not torture, not hell. They just think about the cessation and they're not worried. Mm hmm. And they are at peace. Here, this is the best they can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when we try, you know, and have some conversations about the spiritual, I don't get a bunch of angst back from them. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just part of how they've been raised or, you know, exactly how they've come to those conclusions. But it's interesting to me. I just wonder if a lot of people haven't come to the conclusion, you know, there's just no oneness of thought on these issues. Mm-hmm. The philosophers, they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. The religions are all over the place yeah. on this. Yeah. You know, you really can't know for sure. Mm-hmm. So you might as well just focus on the present, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, in a sense, it's a sign of the times in which we live. Mm-hmm. I think for earlier generations, there was more of an awareness of Christian thinking, and it had a more dominant place in culture than it does today. Mm. Now, that void that's been created by that being moved away has been filled with, like you say, Mark, lots of other different yeah. ideas and thinking, many of which contradict each other. And so people say, eh, well, here we go. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah, you know? As you're saying, when there was thought of Jesus, there was more. I think there was a more sensitivity to what happens after I die mm-hmm. yeah. and maybe a more prevalent angst. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and we could look at a lot of reasons why our faith isn't more valued or known about. And some of it's our own doing of not looking yeah, like Jesus sure. and who we are and what we do. Yeah, don't underestimate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if they're going to throw out something that they attach to Christianity, then they're going to throw out the need for an afterlife too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the almost scary questions that has been in the back of my mind as I've spent so much time in Ecclesiastes these past few months is if Jesus has now come and things have changed as a result, how does that change the way that Ecclesiastes would approach the world, right? Would he see things differently as a result of Jesus? Because if Jesus's life, death, and resurrection doesn't change the reality that Ecclesiastes finds himself in, we're in trouble. And sometimes, even in some of these themes, so there's a little bit of light shining through in this passage. Eat your bread with enjoyment. God has approved what you do. Again, going back to God gifting us time. There's themes of white garments and oil, which at that time would be symbols of God's blessing. 
And then there's this very clear reality throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that ultimately you can do what you find pleasing to do, but ultimately there is a judge who will judge both the good and the bad. We get a peek of that at the end, right? We get a peek at that at the very, very end of the book. But the question in the back of my heart as I've been thinking through that is like, how much of my life do I approach this way? Mm. That the purpose of it is this enjoyment. The purpose, almost as if I'm living as if, you Mm. know, under the sun is all I have. Maybe in my heart, and I say that with air quotes, Mm. in my heart, I believe that there's something different. But in the reality in which I live, I don't actually live in a way that's different as if Jesus has changed things. That's been one of the questions in and the I back of my mind. I think the question heart. that you've been wrestling with speaks directly to what Elisa said about why perhaps the message of the scriptures has lost its influence in our culture and in our day. It's not that the message is no longer valid or true or relevant. It's the way we have represented it by maybe mm-hmm. in some cases living as if it was irrelevant or mm. outdated. Mm. Yeah. And all of these things that he lists as good things to enjoy, he's already told us he believes are hevel. Mm -hmm. They're fleeting. Mm -hmm. They don't actually give you the meaning, the purpose, and the life that you think that they will. And so as we kind of end our conversation on Ecclesiastes, I want to spend one more conversation talking about, okay, this is what Ecclesiastes believed. This is what he thought. Now that Jesus has come, how does that change the way that we read Ecclesiastes? God has given us so many good things for us to enjoy. But ultimately, those things won't satisfy our deepest longings for purpose. And so I'm excited to get to the conclusion of this series on Ecclesiastes and discover how all of this points to Jesus. How does the glass-half-empty wisdom of Ecclesiastes do that? Well, that's what we'll find out after we find out what the group will be studying together in our next podcast. time on the Discover the Word podcast, a conversation with our friend Kim Cash-Tate about an idea from the book of Deuteronomy that has captured her and her relationship with God. The conversation is called Cling. When I was studying Deuteronomy, that word just grabbed me Mm. and it would not let me go. And I began to pray that, Lord, help me to cling to you. Mm. And I would say Only recently did I get a better understanding of why that resonated with me so much. And I was taken back to when I was a little girl and my parents were divorced when I was four. And I had this vivid memory of waiting for my dad to come and pick me up. And I would be waiting for him and for whatever reason, he wouldn't come. And so I'd be sitting at the edge of the bed, looking out the window and my little girl heart would just be crushed because I was looking forward to this time with my dad. And so those disappointing times just Mm -hmm. stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And so as I got older, I think just subconsciously I had this desire to matter to someone. And I think that is why it resonated with me so much that really the God of the universe would allow that we can actually cling to him. Don't miss the invitation to cling in our study with Kim Cash-Tate on the next Discover the Word podcast. Well, the author of Ecclesiastes has presented kind of a bleak outlook by saying that there is nothing new under the sun. 
And yet, when you get to the New Testament and Jesus comes, there's a lot of talk about new. And so let's join Mart and Elisa and Bill and Daniel as they wrap up this series by connecting the lessons found in Ecclesiastes with Jesus' teachings and the rest of the story we find in the New Testament. We ended our last conversation with kind of the haunting question that if we read the book of Ecclesiastes in light of Jesus and nothing has changed, what implications does that have for our faith? It makes you wonder if this whole Jesus thing is even true in some ways. But I think what we're going to find is as we see Jesus interacting with some ideas from Ecclesiastes, Mm -hmm. that things have changed. One of the most quoted verses from Ecclesiastes, it's on plaques, all that. I'm going to have Bill read it for us, (laughs) is Ecclesiastes 1.9. Will you read that for us? What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. You ever heard that quoted before? (laughs) (laughs) Every time I come up with a great idea for an article or a book or whatever, Mm -hmm. yeah, nothing new, dear. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And doesn't that do a great job of just summarizing all that we've talked about so far? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, under the sun, there's that theme, right? What if what we see is all there is? Kohelet, the teacher, I mean, he is very clear. There's nothing new happening here. So I guess the best we can do is enjoy things, maybe fear God and obey the commandments, and that's what we got. Tie it up. What else can you do? (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So here's what's interesting, though. The way that we often quote that verse, I think, is inaccurate for the story of the Bible. And here's why. Mark, will you read Mm. Revelation 21, verse 5 for us? Okay. Looking to the big throne, right? And the Mm -hmm. one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. So we have Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, What happens with the reality of Jesus? Because he's above the sun, he's the one who can make everything new under Mm -hmm. the sun. Yep. Mm -hmm. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17. Yeah, these are words that Paul wrote. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Oftentimes people quote, oh, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, when Jesus showed up, a whole lot of new happened. (laughs) Not only new in regards to his kingdom beginning to make itself known in the world, right? Those who are sick being healed, the lame are walking. Ecclesiastes reality of nothing new under the sun, something has changed. because of Jesus. And something is continuing to change as we look forward in Revelation Mm -hmm. to what ultimately happens, which is Mm -hmm. God making all things new. The the big master plan. Yeah. So we probably should be a little more careful maybe when we quote, there's nothing new under the sun (laughs) from Ecclesiastes, because with Jesus, things have changed. I want to kind of look at how some of the themes in Ecclesiastes actually show up in the New Testament. And I think As we do that, we'll see some of the new that Jesus brought. Interestingly, Ecclesiastes is one of the few Old Testament books that's not directly quoted in the New Testament. And most scholars think the main reason for that is because it wasn't accepted in the Jewish canon until 100 AD. So Jesus has already come and gone before the book of Ecclesiastes has been accepted in Mm. the Jewish canon. Mm. But there are obvious themes from Ecclesiastes that show up throughout the New Testament. Here's a good example. Ecclesiastes talks about being very careful and making promises to God. Elisa, will you read Ecclesiastes 5 verses 4 through 5? When you make a vow to God, do not delay fulfilling it. 
for he has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not fulfill it. And then Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, he talks about swearing falsely and specifically making vows to God. In fact, would you read that for us, Bill? Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Boy, there's echoes there. Yeah, isn't there? Yep, so be careful what you promise. Be careful and vow. In fact, Ecclesiastes, the teacher says, you know what, probably better not to vow. And Jesus says, you know what, probably better not to make vows at all Uh and just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 10, he talks about banishing anxiety from your mind. And in Ecclesiastes 7, because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Mm -hmm. In the Sermon on the Mount, again with Jesus, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, we won't read the whole section, but what does he talk about there? Don't worry about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God knows what you need. Today has enough trouble. Just focus Mm -hmm. on today. So again, more echoes Mm -hmm. there. There's a few other places in the New Testament too. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, Elisa. The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This also is vanity. And then Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, Mark. He says, and Jesus said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And Bill, 1 Timothy six ten, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So again, some more echoes mm-hmm. there, right? Ecclesiastes talks about the dangers of the tongue and of using too many words. The more words, the more vanity. So how is one the better in Ecclesiastes 6.11? And then, of course, James talks about how you can't tame the tongue and mistakes show up when people use lots of words. Mm -hmm. And then this one really jumped out to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Elisa, will you read Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20 and think about where you think this verse typically shows up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Surely there is no one on earth so righteous as to do good without ever sinning. Well, that's Romans 3. Right. That's like almost Romans 3. Exactly. There's no one righteous, not even one. Mm -hmm. I really want to focus in on this one, though, because in Ecclesiastes, he's very clear to say that you can't take things with you when you die, everything under the sun. This is all there is. And as I've been leaning into that theme, There's been this story that Jesus tells that just keeps coming to my mind. So first, let's read Ecclesiastes 8, 15, Elisa. So I commend enjoyment, for there is nothing better for people under the sun than to eat and drink and enjoy themselves, for this will go with them in their toil through the days of life God has given them under the sun. Yeah, so that eat, drink, and enjoy... Be merry. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of a New Testament story mm-hmm. where Jesus says that there was somebody who wanted to eat, drink, and be merry. Mm-hmm. And so it's the parable of the rich fool. And so it's a guy that is some kind of farmer or vineyard owner or something, and he has this abundance come in more than he's ever had. And instead of doing something else with that, he decides what? 
Build bigger barns. Build bigger barns. I'm going to tear down my old barns and build bigger barns. And then Luke chapter 12, verses 19 and 20. This is where we'll pick up the story. Mark, will you read that for us? Yeah, the man says to him, I'm going to sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Mm -hmm. Now Mm -hmm. take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you'll die this very night. And then who'll get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have that which is a rich relationship with God. Without that last verse that you read, it would feel like we're reading Ecclesiastes again. Mm -hmm. Because he says, God said to him, you fool, this night your life's going to be demanded, and the things you've prepared, who they will be. One of the grievous ills that Ecclesiastes can't get past Mm -hmm. is the fact that people work so hard but they can't take it with them when they die. It's left to somebody else. And the fact that life isn't in our hands, that it's fleeting, that we don't have control over it. And so here we almost feel like we're reading the same story as we see in Ecclesiastes, but Jesus changes it just at the end. So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes, the Kohelet, the teacher, sees everything that he is building, it's stuck under the sun. There is no eternal nature to it. But Jesus hints that actually what we do here may echo in eternity. What is that phrase, being rich toward God? What does that mean? Well, my translation says being rich toward God, but March, yours said something about having a rich relationship with mm-hmm. God. Yeah, yeah. That feels very different. Mm-hmm. Being rich toward God feels like material blessings that God gives to mm-hmm. me for whatever purpose. But having a rich relationship with God feels much more enduring. Yeah, much more like the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus yeah. talks about blessed. Blessed are those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which yeah. carries the idea of, mm-hmm. of richly rewarded are those. Uh-huh. Who, yeah. mm-hmm. So what is this new? How has the story changed as a result of Jesus? Because we now have access to the God who lives above the sun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's a relationship there. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also talks about storing up treasures, not mm-hmm. on earth, mm-hmm. right? where the moth comes or the thief mm-hmm. comes and destroys what you've toiled under the sun mm-hmm. to build, but to store up for yourselves treasure in heaven for where yeah. your treasure is. There That's your heart, heart is. will yeah. be also. Yeah. Daniel, you know, you've talked with us a few minutes about how Ecclesiastes is the last book before the New Testament. I'm starting to see it as a kind of a hinge in mm-hmm. a true way, you know, where we've always seen Malachi and then the 400 years <laughs> yeah. as a hinge, but a hinge between the way of living without Jesus and the way of living with Jesus. Yeah. If you could smack it up against something in the New Testament to be the other part of the hinge. Mm -hmm. What might you suggest? What I see as the biggest new that the reality of Jesus changes from Ecclesiastes is the way Ecclesiastes ends. The most he can offer is fear God and keep the commandments. But he already admitted earlier in the book that nobody can do that perfectly. Mm -hmm. Who can be righteous without sinning sometimes? Mm -hmm. But the best he can offer is to fear God and to keep the commandments. Jesus shows up and in a very famous set of verses, John three sixteen and 17, he says that Jesus comes and he rescues us, but God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. Yeah, through, at the end of Ecclesiastes, you could feel condemned, right? Yeah, Because that's God will judge every thought. Yep. Maybe you'd feel hopeful at first because you're like, okay, I can do this. I can yeah. keep the commandments. You'd be like the rich young ruler at that yep. point, right? I've kept this ever since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. But in reality, what we discover, the more we try that is the more we, mm-hmm. we discover quickly how we fall short. Mm-hmm. And here we have a very wise teacher in Ecclesiastes. Even he admits, I've done my best to fear God and keep the commandments, but nobody can do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Jesus comes and says, you're right. And so as a result of that, here is the path to relationship with God. And as a result of that relationship with God, what we do on earth does matter, not in a pressure way of us having to make things happen to have a relationship with God but out of an overflow of the fact that God is with us in all that we do. At the time when the wisdom of Ecclesiastes was collected, at that point in the story of the Bible, there was indeed nothing new under the sun. And many of the things Ecclesiastes talks about are still true observations of life. But isn't it amazing how Ecclesiastes sets the stage and points us to our need for Jesus? He is, as he said, making all things new. Well, thanks for hanging in there with us and studying the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes with Daniel Ryan Day and Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder. It's been a helpful two-podcast conversation, hasn't it? And I hope the perspective of Hevel, smoke, vapor, a puff of air, is one you'll remember and has encouraged you to think a bit more deeply about life and about your relationship with God. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And thanks for remembering that it is the voluntary giving of friends like you that makes Discover the Word and all the different resources Our Daily Bread Ministries provides possible. Our ministry resources like Our Daily Bread University and their Old Testament Basics course, the Our Daily Bread devotional, videos, other podcasts, and more reach people all over the world. And you can partner with us to provide these resources by giving online at discovertheword.org. Click on the Donate button and we'll walk you through how you can partner with us. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.